Hi everyone, this is Brian Carlson from Antioch Beverly. On September 11th, I will turn 40. My wife Jade and I were riding in the car recently with our four kids and Jade asked the kids to brainstorm some ideas of things that I could do on my birthday to celebrate. Deciding what to do on my birthday is typically a difficult thing for me to do, so the whole family was involved in helping me get some ideas. Take a ferry to Nantucket. Go camping. Go take a hike up a mountain. And hey, I haven't landed yet, so send me your suggestions. My email's on our website. Seriously. As I think about my 40th birthday, all nature of questions arise. How do you celebrate and reflect on 40 years of life? What would be the most important things to think about as I consider my life so far? How do I make the most of my next 40 years and the next 40 years after that? What is most important in life from God's perspective? Whether we are 40, 14, or four score, we all have questions like this about our lives. Often they come on birthdays or other milestones or transitions in life. And that's when we're you know, confronted with them. What does God want my focus to be? Who am I? You know, what is most important? God has an answer for us today from one of the most interesting passages in the Bible. This sermon is the last in your series on 2 Timothy, and I pray that you have enjoyed God more as a result of the teaching you've received. As you recall, of all the letters of Paul, this is likely the last one Paul wrote as he was in prison and about to be executed. So this letter functions as a last lecture or a farewell discourse, the last communication that we have from Paul. And this one is from a friend and mentor to someone he considers a son. You can feel some of the fatherly advice and affection as well as imagine Timothy's emotion as he reads this and Paul senses the end of his life approaching. Here's 2 Timothy 9, sorry, 4, 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and, and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Tross, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Hmm. Well, the letter didn't really go out with a bang. Paul's final words on record didn't conclude with one of his firework displays of excitement about Jesus and incredible theological insights that are contained in one gigantic run-on sentence. 
There weren't any core doctrines eloquently and simply stated that we find elsewhere in his writings. There wasn't any brilliant practical wisdom that we can just take and plug into our lives. Instead, we get a long list of names, random details about books and cloaks, and some incomplete stories about the drama in Paul's life that leaves you wondering, hey, what, what happened there? Hey, Brian, I thought you said this was going to be one of the most interesting passages in the Bible. Well, first of all, thank you, John Lux, for giving me this passage to preach. And secondly, well, stay with me. Apparently, this is a typical way to close a letter in the ancient world. Personal addresses, greetings, instructions, etc. And so that's what we're getting here, because this was a real letter, not a theological wisdom bomb dropped from heaven. But here's the first thing that is revealed in this passage. Life is about relationships. The story of your life is forever interwoven with the stories of the people in your life. And the people in your life are a part of the story that your life, of your life that will forever be told. Paul's a real person living a human life. That means he shared in the human experience, which involves other people who are a part of his story. Listen as I rehash some of this passage. Listen to the breadth of life experienced in relationship to others that Paul describes. And notice the names, specific people, that are a part of the story of Paul's life. Here's what he experiences. Desertion. No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Loyalty. Luke alone is with me. Forgiveness. May it not be charged against them. Restoration. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And here's one vignette that we have some of the backstory to, which is found in the book of Acts. Mark was on a missions trip with Paul, left early, so Paul wasn't willing to take him the next time. And that actually caused a division between Paul and Barnabas. Opposition. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Caution. Beware of him yourself. Saying goodbye. Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus, saying hello. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Eubulus sends his greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Needs and wants, when you come. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Tross, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Ah, the parchments. The cloak, the books, and the parchments. There's a three-point sermon right there, maybe. When I first read a passage like this, when I first read a passage like this, I get frustrated sometimes that God didn't give us 14 verses at the end of this letter, at the end of Paul's life, the height of his, you know, inspiration, wisdom, ministry experience, just packed with deep insights or practical wisdom. I mean, come on. Imagine if the Holy Spirit had just prompted Paul to answer some of the questions that have plagued the church, you know, just concisely in this last section. No more debates about women in ministry. No more discussion about predestination. The end times. It's all clear right here in Paul's last letter in his last paragraph. But that's not what we've got, which leads us sometimes to want to just skim this section and get on to something more practical because there isn't much direct application. It's just a bunch of details about other people's lives. But maybe in that sense, we miss the point. We miss the deeper reality that relationships are what life is really about. 
They were to Paul. They were and are to Jesus. It's not about ministry success. It's not about killing it in your career. It's not about reinventing yourself or being an incredible investor or entrepreneur or a beast at CrossFit or having Martha Stewart's model home or having the vegetable garden of the gods. If you crush it in every area of your life except your relationships, you kind of missed it. And my guess is that the reward in heaven will be small. You will have missed the most important thing. It is most important to God as well. He doesn't primarily want our service or our obedience or our wallet or our gifts or even our time. Yes, those are all part of it and they are important. But we could give God all those things and actually still stay far away relationally. Think about it. I reconnected with an old college friend a week or two ago. Jade and I recently moved to the town of Essex and we bought a 16-foot foot aluminum boat, which reminded me of my friend Jesse. His uncle used to own the White Elephant Shop, an Essex antique store, and the two of us worked for him off and on during college. And we went to church, actually, across the street from the store together for most of our college years. Jesse grew up on the Cape and grew up boating, fishing, and one summer break during college, he fished commercially for the whole summer for striped bass. Never forget the time he took me out on the boat and we caught nine stripers. It was awesome. So the combination of Essex and boating just reminded me of him, and I, I sent him a message on WhatsApp. And, you know, to be honest, I was a little nervous to message him because we just hadn't had any contact for years wasn't sure, you know, what had changed or where he was at, whatever. But sure enough, he replied, and it was cool. We were able to message back and forth a little bit. And you know what? That shouldn't have been much of a surprise. Jesse was just always a great friend to me and to everyone around him. As I think back on, you know, my time around him, he was always including others, always looking to make people laugh, even at his own expense, always welcoming people into his life. For him, relationships were a priority. And guys, this is what life is about. It's about people. And good news, they're everywhere. You've been interacting with them all your life. You're maybe living with some right now. And embracing those relationships and accepting even the ones that have been hard or that have had to end for one reason or another is what God's will is for us. Accepting that these people were or are a part of our life and a part of our story. And here's the second thing we see in this passage. Jesus is in your story. Listen to what Paul says. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus promises to be with us always, even to the end of the age. This isn't just some empty phrase. And here Paul experienced it. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. As one commentator writes, this is probably talking about uh, Paul's preliminary hearing before Caesar during his second imprisonment. Did Paul actually sense or see Jesus standing next to him? Is he just using an expression to mean that God was with him? Did he sense God's presence in a tangible way? We don't know, but he says that God strengthened him. In that moment, God empowered him to be bold and strong in the challenging situation that he was facing. Jesus' other promise that when his followers are brought before leaders, 
the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say, also proved true for Paul. I remember being at an Antioch New England staff meeting about two and a half years ago. And a couple weeks leading prior, up prior to that, Jesus had just been kind of, I'd just been sensing him around me or, or imagining him kind of being just in my life. At the start of the meeting, we had a time of worship and I just asked Jesus where he was, what he was doing. And I felt like I saw him next to Phil Masterson and Jesus just put his arm around Phil. Then he moved to one or two others and was hugging them or standing in front of them with his arms on their shoulders, just, just looking in their eyes. At the end of worship, I shared with the group what I was seeing and I just started to lose it. I began weeping and felt God's heart and others began to cry and we all started praying over each other and more tears happened. It took me a while to recover, but after the meeting, Phil came over to me and said, Hey, that was cool. Before you shared, I just felt like Jesus came over to me for a minute and put his arm around me. Guys, Jesus is in your story. He is always with you. And we can embrace others in our story when we receive Jesus in our story with us. He's already there. It's just a matter of us receiving him, acknowledging that, reaching out to him. Paul says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas shifted his focus away from Jesus and out of the priorities of the surrounding culture. Everything that God has made is good and has value, but in its proper place. It is fixing our eyes on Jesus that brings everything else into focus. It is serving Master Jesus and not money that actually brings enjoyment and eternal value into every endeavor and experience. And especially the most important part of our lives, relationships. Notice the result of being in love with the present world. Deserting people. Abandonment, avoidance, emotional distance. The siren call of the culture is to put ourselves at the center of our lives, which pushes Jesus and others away. The voice of Jesus calls us to put him at the center, which enables us to be fully present to the people in our lives. Engaged, emotionally available, caring, enjoying the company of others, slowing down and not in a rush. Life is about relationships. The story of your life is forever interwoven with the people that are in your life. And here's the thing, guys. Jesus is in your story. He's in it with you. And if we, if we just acknowledge that and receive that Jesus is there with us, it will empower us to embrace the others in our story and love them well. And all for the glory of God. Notice Paul's motivation for ministry, for getting the gospel out there. And all about the kingdom is all about the Gentiles, these people that are all around that Paul loves and wants to embrace with the love of God. And that's what we see here, guys. This, all of this is just a picture of the gospel. People in relationship with people mattered so much to God that he wasn't willing to let us go when we walked away. We've all turned away from God in one way or another. We've all gone our own way and ridden God off or cursed him or defied him. But we matter to God more than anything else, which is why he made a way for us to come back to him. He became one of us. In the incarnation, he joined himself for all eternity to what he created by becoming a human being. Right now and forever, there is a human being in the Trinitarian Godhead. And as a human, Jesus perfectly demonstrated who God is by loving the people around him, speaking truth about people and God and life. And he released God's power to set people free. And you know what? Many people didn't like that. Powerful people didn't like that. 
And so they put Jesus to death. But Jesus pulled off the ultimate reversal by submitting to his execution. In his death, he ended up defeating death because God raised him from the dead. And now he has all authority and he lives forever. And Jesus is now standing with you and strengthening you to love the people around you. And the walk of faith, the walk of the Christian life is to embrace Jesus and to receive the forgiveness for his for, for your sins that he promises because of his death and his resurrection so that you have power to embrace the people around you, to love them, to invest in them, to disciple them so that the gospel can go to the corners of the earth. Guys, life is about relationships and Jesus is in your story with you. May God bless you guys. Hey, here's a few questions to consider as you respond. What relationship is God highlighting for you to accept and or embrace as a part of your life? Second, is there anyone that you need to forgive? It may not mean welcoming them back back into relationship, but it may mean accepting that this person is a part of your story and releasing forgiveness to them. Hey, lastly, how is God inviting you to recognize his part in your story and or his presence with you right now? and at all times. Bless you guys.